And I found that when it wasn't a hell yes, it turned to be a not a hell yes experience. And when it was a hell yes, it truly was a hell yes experience. And I found that like building a muscle, the more I said no, the more aligned yeses started to reveal themselves. This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. Picture yourself with other high-level entrepreneurs in the northern mountains of Thailand, October 26, 2017. It will be full of masterminds, workshops, advisors, like-minded entrepreneurs, and of course, some fun adventure. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to contact us ASAP at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now, on to today's episode. Hang on, entrepreneurs, because I am excited about today's guest. Joining us today is a woman who was ranked by Inc. Magazine as one of the top 27 female entrepreneurs changing the world, and her name is Jules Schroeder. Jules started her first six-figure company at the ripe old age of 18, and by the time she was 22, she had her first seven-figure company. She's the founder of Unconventional Life, which operates a podcast on the Forbes Under 30 channel. Jules joins us today to talk about a variety of topics ranging from self-care to her amazing talent of improv singing. We dig into some great ideas about how to better understand yourself as an entrepreneur, the hell yes or no game, and the near-death experience that completely shifted Jules' life. Hang on, listeners. This is a great episode, and let's jump into the show. Welcome, Jules, to the podcast. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It is a rainy kind of Game of Thrones-like day in the mountains of Colorado. What city I'm are so you in? I'm so enjoying that. I'm in Boulder. And is this your? This is your home base, more or less, now, right? Yeah, more or less. I've been in Boulder the last ten years, and I like to come back here when I'm not traveling. As you know, we were just in Portugal together, which you're still in Lisbon, and then I flew from there to Iceland, and I'm actually leaving tomorrow for Nicaragua. So it's like whenever I can get my few days a month or every few months in Colorado, I appreciate it. How is that for you? Because you've just got back from Iceland, and you're headed to Nicaragua, and you have an apartment in Boulder, I'm assuming, yeah? Yeah, uh, it's a house, a four-bedroom house. Um, yeah, I live in it with uh, my sister, and we actually uh, we rent it out when we travel. And so nice. I've been living rent-free for the last five years while simultaneously having a, a beautiful space. And um, yeah, it makes travel like guilt-free, I guess. <laughs> so <laughs> That's exactly the way it should be, guilt-free travel. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like one epic experience after another. And uh, my boyfriend actually lives in Vancouver, and I finished up a music album this summer. And so... Literally, like if I look at travel and like the macro perspective, I've been in like six countries in the last two months. <laughs> and so it's uh, it's been a journey. It's not quite always this fast moving, but I find, you know, sometimes uh, you get guided in more busy paces of life and I'm totally in a sprint right now and appreciating it. So. so do you have times in your life then when you're like, okay, I just need a month back in Colorado or with my boyfriend to decompress? Yeah, all the time. Um, so I like to say that I'm the world's biggest introverted extrovert, meaning like when I'm in Colorado, I am like hermiting. I am like at my mountain house, mm. you know, waking up, doing my morning routine, having chai, reading a book, going to CrossFit and not really working until 12 o'clock and then going to bed pretty early with very little socializing. And I have found that for myself, that self-care and that recharge time is vital and uh, when I get back from Nicaragua, um, uh, mid-October, I'll actually be stationary for a month before we host our uh, next event that we'll be doing at the end of November. But I find that solo, solo self-care time is like vital to my success. Otherwise, if I'm not resourced, it's 
like spinning my wheels again and again and again. How often do you do that solo time to yourself when you're relaxing? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's been something that I've been playing with because I think in the past, you know, when I wasn't as busy or doing so many different projects in the world, whether that's speaking or hosting business accelerators or recording albums or things like that, I had more like flexibility to be able to just be like, okay, I'm going <laughs> to take this week off and just create that sanctuary. And now the edge that I feel like I'm up against is how to still find that solo reflective um, recharge time amongst chaos and even amongst travel as well. And for me, you know, when I was in Iceland, I was at this experience um, called Chosen with uh, Olympian gold medalists and 10 people basically teaching you transformation through pushing physical boundaries. And every day we were doing these epic things like hunting uh, Arctic chars, swimming with whales and puffins, whitewater rafting. And one of the days I had to just say, you know what, I'm going to miss the activities. I'm going to skip out on the hike. I'm going to skip out on the adventures. And I just like Netflixed in bed all day. <laughs> and it was incredible. I like found the series Sense8, which I'm now like hooked on. I'm like an all or nothing kind of gal. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just like all in on this TV show. And finally, it's like almost over. Thank God. <laughs> the last two weeks have been totally consumed. But needless to say, um, that day ended up being my biggest sales day. Really? Like that I'd had in two weeks and more money came into the account uh, and the company that day when I was recharging and had that space. And my sister sent me an email and she runs head of operations and she's like, what are you doing over there? She's like, I don't know what's happening over here, but there's like a lot of energy <laughs> moving today. I was like, I'm in bed watching Netflix. <laughs> and so, um, you know, and it's counterintuitive. You know, we often get told, especially when we're earlier on in our career, you know, we're five-figure mark, we want to be at a six-figure mark or a seven-figure mark to do more and to spend more hours working and hustle more and grind harder. And when I look back at my 10-year entrepreneurial journey, I found in the last two years, I've been more productive, like one step forward, 10 steps out, had more of an impact, and it's been way more effortless, easy and fun by prioritizing um, self-care and not even prioritizing it, but actually making it a requirement. And from that place, building versus the other way around. And I wish I had someone literally like shake my shoulders like a few years ago, <laughs> being like, Jules, if you just get this thing, you know, you'll see that it's the piece, um, the foundation that makes everything else work. And so uh, it's actively something that I'm, I'm playing with in my, my reality right now, especially as I get more requests to speak and travel and lead and do all these different things in the world. Jules, what are some things for you that really are triggers to make you realize that, okay, it's time, it's self-care time? Yeah, great question. Um, So this weekend was really confronting for me. I, you know, um, have been in a lot of really stimulating environments. You know, we met at the largest digital nomad conference and I was speaking Mm -hmm. there and leading workshops there. And then I was flown to Iceland to lead these uh, experiences with this group. And, you know, I didn't even realize what I was needing. And I think my triggers, um, one, the first one is I get sick physically. And so I know myself to be a healthy, healthy, nourished person. And like I have really clean eating. I really value sleeping. I don't really drink much alcohol. And so when my body physically gets sick, um, it's like an instant cue to stop everything. Wow. And in the past, I would just push. You know, I would just be like, oh, whatever. It's just a slight cold. I'll just keep going. And I find that our bodies are so wise. Our bodies have so much wisdom. And so often we're so busy and on to the next thing that we can't even feel or make space for the cues that they're giving us. 
And I find that physical sickness is a direct cue, at least for me and, you know, those that I've uh, seen be really successful around me, that like instant cue, stop, press pause and slow down. And, you know, beyond the physical um, ailment part of it, I also find too that when I feel clogged or kind of like stuck or just, um, it's like kind of when you feel like you're carrying like a lot of weight. And for those that are hearing this, it might be like you feel contracted or you just feel like maybe you're having a bad day. Like you just feel yucky and you can't shake it off no matter what you're doing. Or, you know, for the women that are tuning in, maybe you're just strangely emotional (laughs) and you're just like, I don't know why this is happening. I also use that as indicators to kind of be like, huh, maybe something, you know, is out of alignment or maybe I'm just pushing myself too hard. And if I feel that way, I tend to make space, um, you know, usually in the afternoon, I'll clear my schedule and just allow myself the ability to process but ultimately integrate. And I find this integration piece is missing for a lot of us because we go from peak experience to peak experience to peak experience, or we're just at a constant state of grind. And without having little blips, even if it's just an afternoon or maybe it's a Saturday or whatever it might be, to integrate all of the things that we're doing, our bodies can't actually receive the information that we're learning and all of the tools that we're gaining to really create more success or more happiness or the things that we truly want or care about in our life. And so I find that integration is like literally giving your body like a little download, like a little chip, like a computer being like, okay, <laughs> and receive this fully and then keep going. And so um, I really make time for that. And I find that's, you know, at the, the crux of, you know, why I'm able to do so many different things in the world. And, uh, you know, especially talking in Lisbon about the unconventional life, it's like, you know, sponsored snowboarder and yoga teacher and athlete and business owner <laughs> and curator of events. It's like, how do you find time for it? And, um, you know, for those that are tuning in that find you have a lot of passions or gifts, hobbies or interests. And I think we all do to an extent, it can feel overwhelming to know which one to do at what time or to feel right. stuck or trapped. Or I think the worst of it for myself is when I don't feel self-expressed. Like when I have something inside of me that I know is gold or like I'll wake up in the night and know that I have something and not having the outlet or the external proof to get it out there. And that just drives me crazy and has for a lot of my life. And um, I found that now by having these little integration check-ins, I can hear myself more and ultimately have more of a relationship to myself so that I know um, what to follow and in what order and kind of what step to take next in creating moment by moment by moment. So say um, you do feel a little sickness or illness coming on and you decide to clear your schedule. You realize you're overwhelmed or exhausted or emotional or whatever it may be. And then you take some time to kind of take care of yourself. What are the what are the ways that you're taking care of yourself to heal yourself so that you're back on track and you can go back at it? Yeah, <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> so I'm like a self-care junkie. <laughs> so just like to give you like, if you were a fly on the wall, I got back from Iceland uh, on Saturday. I'm here for five days in Colorado. Literally the last few days, I've gone to uh, five element acupuncture, which for those that have never heard of five element acupuncture, instead of it dealing with more acute symptoms like we hear about traditional acupuncture, it actually works with the energetic body. And helps, uh, especially if you're having adrenal fatigue or exhaustion, it's like a a fine tune-up, almost like a car for you. And so it's fabulous. So I've been to Five Element Acupuncture. I've also done two sessions of network chiropractic, 
which for those that haven't heard of network chiropractic, it's not your traditional crack and pop model that we think about most chiropractors. Um, what they're doing is they're actually using light touches on your spine to retrain your nervous system mm. to essentially fire new synapses to heal yourself. So instead of being dependent on someone to always tune you up, you actually get to train your body how to um, create those tunes for you. And so that's also been a huge one of mine. Um, I also love CrossFit. <laughs> I like have hit this like, um, yeah, this stride. But when I'm, you know, um, not feeling so great, I try to be mindful of like heavy exertion because I'm kind of this, uh, you know, I have a lot of energy that runs through me. So I like to really get it out um, and really channel it. And sometimes that can be pretty aggressive in the gym. And so it had to do more nourishing things. Um, restorative yoga as well has been a big thing. And clean eating is huge. I love soup. <laughs> I love really good chai. I was making like a lot of chia seed pudding. They were serving that every day in Iceland. And I've never really eaten chia pudding. So I'm like, that's kind of weird. But <laughs> it tastes really good. And it, like, it's really filling. And so that's been awesome. And then in addition, like I got a 90-minute massage yesterday. I took myself out for like a solo hike in the afternoon. And, um, yeah, today I'm getting my nails done and getting another foot massage. And so, uh, I tend to really just overload the self-care where you might look at it and be like, that's ridiculous to spend so much time and resources. But I find that I kind of like to just attack something when I notice something isn't, um, when something feels stuck, when something feels clogged mm -hmm. and attack doesn't always necessarily have to be like aggressive, like the word might indicate, but really throwing everything I have into that healing. And that could be that space. And I find, um, when I'm all in, you know, whether it's business, whether it's relationships or whether it's self care and nourishing myself, it just produces the results fastest. And ultimately it recalibrates and restores whatever that underlying thing is underneath that's causing it to be out of alignment. And so, uh, yeah, it, it's tracking on a few different levels for sure. You know, I, I realize like the more successful people that I interact with and talk to, a lot of them are very, very, very into self care. And if you think like uh, a guy, think about a guy like Tony Robbins, that guy is all about self care and he does it consistently habitually nonstop every single day wow. and he really really loves it so it makes a lot of sense um something that i ignore i think i grew up with the belief that you know kind of like you just ignore it and push through it and get through it and it'll go away eventually but i think it's really important so especially if you want to create a lot of things in your life so this brings me to the next topic like your resume of the things that you have done in your life are absolutely amazing. And I think you're 28 right now, correct? <laughs> yeah, 28. 28. And you've been in the top 27 female entrepreneurs changing the world from Inc. Magazine, Forbes 30 under 30. You're Forbes author, podcast host. You've spoken and sung at the UN. You're a musician, singer, um, successful entrepreneur. And you've done a lot in your life, and it's really impressive. And I love talking to um, people that have, especially in their 20s, that have accomplished so much. So I'd like to – actually, what I want to do first, Jules, is kind of rewind and take us back to the Jules uh, that was in high school or younger and who she was and how she kind of evolved into the amazing person that she is today. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, uh, it's been quite a journey. And one thing that I will say for just as much success, a belief that I've known in myself to be true and those around me, is there's been just a equal amount of failure on the other side. So the degree to which one can hold massive success is also the degree in which one has held and continues to hold massive failure. And so I find that for those tuning into this, um, it feels just like an important distinction to name <laughs> because it's been so true in my own life. And if you're you know, listening to this and in a place where you feel like you're just at the cusp or something quite isn't working, um, keep going because I will say that it's such a dance and I keep dancing it in my life. And <laughs> even when I you know, look at where I'm at at 28, I feel like I'm just getting started and I'm humbled constantly. And I think that's willingness to be humbled and to have humility and also compassion and gratitude for yourself in the process is so integral. And honestly, without it, like, what's the point of even being like alive? <laughs> you know, what's the point of all of this stuff to begin with? And so that's yeah. a question I ask about constantly. Um, but going back to your question. So if you saw me fly on the wall, I grew up in Connecticut, the oldest of five girls. My dad worked Wall Street in New York City. My mom was home. And, you know, as a young person, um, I was constantly independent. I moved out of the house um, when I was 16 to live with my boyfriend and his parents and worked three jobs in high school, got myself transferred to a private Catholic high school so I could go to school less to work more. <laughs> they were like, <laughs> they're like, yeah, you only have to go to school from 8 to 12.45. I was like, perfect. Mm. I don't care. Catholic school in the ghetto, <laughs> whatever, I'll get to make more money. <laughs> and so I was like working as a manager at this ice cream shop. Uh, <laughs> and so it was like super rad. Um, but I mean, I really learned the value of uh, my independence and ultimately my freedom. And more than anything, you know, I, I just had that fierce independence and was always at a young age. Um, my dad working in New York City is like a big managing partner at this Wall Street firm. He would always have this way of thinking, which, you know, instead of seeing what was right with the picture, he would always see what was wrong or what was missing. Mm. And I remember coming to him with ideas, whether it was like elaborate plans for my weekend shenanigans or ideas on starting a jewelry business or a vacation rental property thing. And within seconds, he would find every hole that I couldn't see. And it was so frustrating and annoying. That's like a 16-year-old or a 17-year-old. I was like, Dad, can't you just like be proud of me and like <laughs> support me? <laughs> and um, you know, I really respect him for that now because that way of thinking essentially taught me this mindset where instead of seeing you know the full picture, I see what's missing and ultimately where the opportunities are and where I can bring myself or my ideas or my gifts or my solutions to make a difference or to make something, you know, function even better. And so um, that was definitely a push-pull growing up. And I, uh, you know, also like got into drugs, was like a big partier and still maintained like straight A's on high honor all and never brought my books home and had this photographic memory. But I was, uh, yeah, I was really questioning a lot of the time, like, who was I and what did I care about? In a lot of ways, I didn't feel like I fit in. You know, I felt really... Um, different. And I found like I had all these gifts and I didn't know what to do with them. And I didn't really have an expression for them. And stuff at home was really challenging. And so, you know, it led to me to like be um, kind of this blessing and this curse of my fierce independence, but also this like fierce isolation of not wanting to fully reveal myself and especially my heart and the parts of me that I now get to express through my music or some of my other gifts. And so I'm sure some of you guys listening can kind of relate to that. And it's definitely been a theme um, through my evolution and my journey. And so um, 
Flash forward, I go to Colorado, I go to school in Boulder at the University of Colorado and a clipboard gets passed around and it was like, you want to make a bunch of money this summer, put your name and email address down and little did they know they were like doing full on direct marketing that I would learn about years later (laughs) (laughs) with the name and email thing. But I was like, totally, I was like, I was like name and email was on the clipboard like instantly and I was like, this totally beats what else I was going to do this summer. And it turns out they were teaching college students how to run a business via a house painting business. And at the time, I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, house painting, 18-year-old girl, not exactly sexy. However, (laughs) uh, you know, running a business and learning how to run a business sounds cool. And so while in college, I would go around from neighborhood to neighborhood and knock on doors and be like, hey, my name is Jules. I'd love to come paint your house (laughs) with no experience. (laughs) And I got really good at it. I got really good at the cold pitch. And in about uh, three months, I had booked around $150,000 worth of work Wow! and became the top manager in Colorado. And people were just like, what is she doing? Like my marketing teams that I were hiring and our ability to literally knock on a door and set up a free estimate was higher than any average they'd ever seen. And, you know, then I had to figure out how to produce the work and hire painting crews. And I, I realized production was not my strong suit. <laughs> I like put ladders through <laughs> windows and overspray cars and made very little profit that year. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I did realize I was good at sales and marketing. And so I got invited um, to come back the next year and uh, teach college students how to do what I did the year before and ended up doing this like $400,000 company at 19. Um, but more than anything, through that experience, Um, I got to get a taste for the first time of some of my gifts and also a taste to, you know, some of the things that I wasn't as good at or didn't really have much interest in doing, which was like literally carrying paint buckets in the back of my car. (laughs) And so um, it was also the first time in my life where I got to experience external validation for what I knew inside of me. And I find this is like coming back to what I was saying earlier, it's like the struggle of this nagging feeling in your gut, whether you're in a job or you're early out in your career or you want the nomad lifestyle or whatever it looks like. It's this like nagging thing that doesn't go away and it ate at me for so long. And finally, when I was able to actually release it or have the expression for it, i.e. the proof through those businesses, um, it was such a relief. And the first time that I could step back and be like, okay, I think like I can keep going. And still at the time, you know, I did not have the awareness or the mindfulness that I'm sharing you in this moment. For me, I was like, okay, hit one peak onto the next peak onto Mm -hmm. the next peak. And even though I had success, uh, I still wasn't able to even fully receive all of it. And I was constantly um, coming from a place of like wanting to do more, still feeling not good enough and not up to everyone's standards. And it wasn't actually until flash forward years later I'm running a publishing company with 25 employees. We figured out how to take the algorithm to make books bestsellers on Amazon and turn it into a seven-figure launch. That a business partner embezzles a bunch of money. I go into $200,000 worth of debt overnight. Uh, have to break up with the other business partner that's part of our trio and essentially deal with paying back clients at $30,000 a piece and wow. lose everything wow. that's important to me, like the business and the money and the relationships and ultimately drive my health into the ground over a course of eight months that I actually stepped back and I realized and I was like, okay, like, who am I? You know, like even as an entrepreneur, going back to those early years of the house painting business, I was still always driving for someone else's version of success. And even though from the outside, I was running my own business and it looked like I had made it, I wasn't happy. I wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't any closer to knowing who I was as a person or in the world. And I, you know, was constantly in the struggle of not feeling enough. And no matter what I did, I couldn't satiate this like emptiness. 
And it, it literally took losing everything that I thought was important at 24, you know, the business, the employees, <laughs> the status, the relationship, my health, to finally throw up my hands in the air and step back and be like, okay, you've got my attention. And, you know, I did what I think any 24-year-old girl would do in that situation. I picked up the phone and I called my dad and I cried. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was from that moment um, that I really um, – started to live my life from a different place. And, you know, I'd made that choice, but still didn't even have the tools. And I think that was the first time that I started to learn about intuition, the ability of self-care, space taking, and all of the things that I've lived the last few years of my life. But it, it started in that moment. It seems like you know yourself really well. And I'm guessing all of that was a process of becoming and understanding yourself better. Um, I'm curious if you could give some suggestions to the listeners on how they could understand themselves better so they could did i say is that correct themselves or their self my english is out the door <laughs> um so they can understand themselves better and because i see a lot of entrepreneurs do this right this is the thing People go, we chase after the dream of having a successful business, having a lot of money. Uh, sometimes we do it because we want to prove something. We just want to prove it to ourselves or to other people or a subconscious belief that exists within us that we don't even know about. And other than those processes of losing businesses and going through really hard times, what are some other ways that you learned to understand yourself so you know that you're on the right path? Yeah, great question. Uh, you know, someone told me so many years ago that the longest journey is from the head to the heart. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think it speaks to some of what you're uh, asking and what my own experience has been, which, you know, I found for a lot of my life, uh, I was this very logical oriented person. I wanted to make relatively the safe choice. It was very practical. And it was very much in my head and honestly didn't have space or time or energy to really feel anything. And I walked through life relatively numb. You know, I would still get enjoyment from things, but relatively with very little touch um, to my body. And, you know, I remember people would talk about meditation or intuition. And for me, those are just concepts that I was like, that's cool for those people. But I'm not one of those people. And wow, that person, you know, can talk about that. But I have no way to access it. And yet there was this like part of me that still was curious, that kind of wanted like, what's this thing that these people are onto that I don't know? And so it was actually in um, the moment of losing the embezzlement and a tool um, for those listening that I created this 60-day hell yes or no game. And you know, I shared about this in your, um, when I was at the DNX yeah, conference. Yeah. But the, the premise of this game, you know, I, I thought to myself in that moment, well, instead of doing more, what if I did less? And I realized how many times I was saying yes to things all over my life. And you guys might relate to this, especially when you're in the hustle, you're in the grind, like wanting to really make it somewhere. It's like you're yesing, and at least I was, I was yesing everything that came in. Maybe this piece would be the missing clue. Maybe this thing would get me a step further. Maybe this meeting or this party would give me that connection. And I was so exhausted. And so I said, okay, well, instead of just saying yes to things that were frankly maybe yeses, or like obligatory yeses or should yeses, what if I only said yes to truly hell yeses? Like the kind of yes, like the invitation you get where before someone's even done, your whole body and being is like hell yes. Like when I got invited to speak in Portugal, I like hadn't even, you know, Marcus wasn't even finished talking and I was like, I'm there. <laughs> and so we can all relate to when we have these like full bodied hell yes kind of reactions. 
And then the times where, you know, we talk ourselves into like, well, maybe this party could be cool if this person shows up and I meet that thing. And these like kind of iffy experiences. Mm -hmm. And I found that when it wasn't a hell yes, it turned to be a not a hell yes experience. And when it was a hell yes, it truly was a hell yes experience. So for 60 days, I told everyone in my life, I was like, response times are going to be slower. Don't expect much from me. I'm going to say no a lot more than you probably have ever experienced. And I'm totally running this weird experiment. And I found that it took about 45 days of the 60 days to actually sync up awareness, to get insight at how many invitations I was getting, were they hell yeses, and then noticing if I chose to act on a not hell yes, what was the result? And if it was a hell yes, what was the result? And I found that like building a muscle, the more I said no, the more aligned yeses started to reveal themselves. And ultimately, you know, not only did they start to reveal themselves, I found that they were the things that were more, most fun and most exciting. And it was the last 15 days of that game that I synced up the awareness and action and ultimately like solidified this muscle. Kind of like if you go to the gym or when I first started CrossFit, you're just doing all this like skill technique training and then it eventually culminates uh, into more of a practice. And that muscle I've used uh, consistently over the last three years, but I find now by building it and literally acting, it's like hell yes or it's a no. And if it's not a clear read, and this is a big distinction too, sometimes like I'll be like, I can't tell if it's a hell yes or not. If you can't tell, it's not a hell yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, those would be a not right now or just a no. And I would just give myself space um, for the more aligned thing to kind of show itself. And, you know, for those that are listening to this, you don't have to do this for 60 days. You literally could decide right now in this moment for the next week of your life, you know, tell the people close to you that you're going to take more response time. And at the end of each night, you know, a friend of mine runs this eight-figure company. He's like, I'm just going to do this in an Excel spreadsheet and tally it every night. And I'm like, that's wow. great. So glad you're using your logical brain. I wouldn't have used that exact format, but it totally is the same principle. And he would just, in his Excel spreadsheet, track Monday. And at the end of the night, he put tallies for how many opportunities he had or invitations. And he tallied in one column which ones were hell yeses, what the result was, and which ones were not hell yeses and what the result was. And at the end of the week, it was really clear from the data. He was like, holy shit. He was like, I didn't even know it was like what you don't know that you don't know, this blind spot um, that gave him so much access. And it's just transformed you know, a lot of the results. And more than anything, what I like about this game is it's kind of a very easy way into letting you into your own intuition. And it's a very practical way to allow you to start to listen to yourself. And if anyone hearing this was like me you know, at that point in my life, I had so much input coming in and so much stimulation coming in that it was really hard to hear myself. And unless I explicitly tried to hear myself, I just couldn't. And that's why I like this game is it gives you that direct feedback every night for a week, for example, to be able to do that. And I found that by actively listening to myself, you know, starting from that moment, you know, about four years ago to today, I slowly get more and more feedback from my environment which allows me to ultimately know which path to go down at which moment in time, which gives me more, um, you know, data, if you will, on who I am and what I actually care about and ultimately um, what my expression in the world looks and feels like. And I think that has led me onto this path of really getting to develop that relationship of who I am. First off, I think that's absolutely amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And I'd like to ask you, I think that what would you recommend to the entrepreneurs that are out there and um, they have a business, they've been running it for a while, they're committed to it, but and this could go for anything, but 
Uh, it's no longer a hell yes for them. What would you say to those people? Well, the first thing I'd say is you should come to our event in Nicaragua <laughs> because <laughs> it's designed exactly for entrepreneurs in transition. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but it's a five-day accelerator coming up at the end of November. Um, and I only say that because literally that exact uh, demographic is the people that come. But I would say um, uh, apart from that, you know, I think you know you have to ask yourself if it's no longer hell yes. Like the first thing is that can be kind of scary and confronting. Yeah. And I know for me that's happened. And I think the first thing is just to give yourself some space to just feel what that's like. Because I think if you try to go right into action of not realizing it's a hell yes, it's like, it's not only is it disastrous, but it's kind of not effective. And you won't necessarily end up with an outcome that truly is an alignment. You could just be doing something for another fix to put another bandaid to still get you into a not hell yes situation. And so the first thing I would say would be to actually witness, like, what's up for you around it? You know, like, if it's scary and if it's confronting, like, that's okay. Like, it's totally valid. And I find with the businesses that I've created, you know, it's natural to create uh, attachment and pride. And not only that, but our identity can be so enwrapped in our businesses. You know, it's this thing that's fueled you. And that's, you know, coming back to when I was like young and doing the house painting business, it was validating who I was in the world. It was giving me legs. Like, I know myself by this thing. You know, I remember saying to myself, I was like, well, after the embezzlement, like, what am I going to say when people are like, oh, like, what do you do? And what are you up to when I'm at like a networking thing? Like that thing terrified me to be like, uh, I kind of had this company and like, <laughs> now I don't. <laughs> and like being in that transitionary period is, um, it can be a lot. And um, on the other side of that, it can also be exhilarating. And it can be like this uncomfortable, like nauseating, but exciting. Like, it's kind of like, I like skydiving. So it's like the moment you're about to jump out of the plane and it's like, holy shit. Mm. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, something really awesome is going to come, but it's like feeling all that sensation in that moment. And so, you know, I find in that, um, it's really like giving yourself the space and asking yourself, okay, if it's not a hell yes, like, what is it about is it about that that's not making a hell yes? And sometimes it can be easy to think it's an all or nothing thing. Like it's get rid of the business or don't. But I like to live in what I relate to as an and reality. When it's like if I can actually distinguish what are the components about it and like truly check in. Is it that you don't like the business because you don't like having to be on the phone all the time? Is it that the business doesn't feel like a hell yes because your interests have changed? You know, like a friend of mine's run a travel company for 10 years and he started it when he was 20 and a huge partier and here he is at 30 and is like totally sober and like goes to Burning Man and loves, you know, uh, conscious lifestyle. And so he's like, my company in its current state isn't a hell yes because who I started at 20 is who I am at 30. And so instead of leaving the company, he's like, revamping it with his values to make the company be a match to who he is now. And so I think that inquiry can give you data on what component of it isn't a hell yes. And it also might be that the whole thing isn't and you actually just want to start over and you want to create from nothing. And that's also exciting too. And really where I was for about a year and a half after, you know, this um, untangling from this publishing company. And I think that's okay too, to be in that process. And so I think at the overarching theme of it, it's a lot of self-reflection and looking at the and reality and honestly being really real with yourself, whether that's independently or with a committed listener or with a mentor or just someone you trust to actually just hear your thoughts and to hold space for you to be in that process. And I think only from that space is whatever you create next going to be in alignment. But if you miss that you know, step or you decide, whatever, I don't need that step, like I could do it without that step. 
that I find you're going to create more of the same. And so that's in a lot of ways, I think the new paradigm of, um, you know, the hustle free success lifestyle, which I see myself and so many others living. And ultimately I think it's the way to have more happiness and fulfillment and money and enjoyment, um, than the conventional model that a lot of us have been grown into. Jules, what's next for you in the next five to 10 years? Great question. I have no idea. <laughs> and so I live my life. Um, I had this near-death experience uh, that I shared about at the event, you know, in 2015 and full-on like solace white figure, sick black shadow council member conversations, wakeboarding accident. You have more work to do in the world. Do you want to do it? And said yes, got zapped back in my body and life has like dramatically altered ever since. And super abbreviated version. You guys can like look me up if you want to hear the whole story on the on my podcast or something else. But more than anything, um, from that moment, my life feels like instead of being created by me, I, it's being created through me. And I relate to myself as being a vessel or a channel where my gifts literally get to come through me and out and being created. And I think in a lot of ways, we're all channels. And you guys hearing this, this might be the first time you're hearing this word, or you might not quite use that language. But how our gifts come out, they look different for each one of us. And I've basically said yes, you know, surrendered to allowing myself to be an instrument. And I think, you know, the stuff that's happened since that near-death experience, literally weeks later being invited to the UN, being invited to Forbes Under 30, getting invited to write for Forbes with no blog experience, hosting the official podcast on Forbes with no podcast, um, to, you know, launching a $500,000 company in the last eight months out of a dream, which was a total accident, to like all the things that keep unfolding, is that it's all been by just being a yes to the process and yes to allowing things to work through me. And instead of, you know, the typical way that's like in five years, here's my goal, or in 10 years, here's my goal, I stay really present to what's here in the moment. And I'm very committed to the things that I want. And I relate to them as the games that I play in the world, but very unattached to the forms in which they show up. And I find that if I have a really fierce commitment, for example, like I said to my boyfriend two years ago, I wanted to start writing for Forbes. And a week later, an email shows up from Forbes asking if I want to start writing for them. But I was so unattached. I didn't like immediately go research like 10 Forbes editors and try to, you know, submit my resume of why I should be a Forbes person or pitch myself. Mm -hmm. I was just very clear on my commitment and unattached on how it showed up. And so I found that as I've cultivated these tools, hell yes or no game, being committed or unattached, following my highest excitement or other things, as long as I have that toolkit, it doesn't matter where I'm going in five or 10 years. Like I just trust that as long as I have like my entourage or my army or my tool belt with me, that's like inherent in me that I'm always going to be the source of whatever is meant to come through next. And I think back to those words often, you know, you have more work to do in the world. Do you want to do it? And it's just like, what did I really say yes to? (laughs) And um, my life has been really unrecognizable um, as a result of it. And, you know, a piece I'll offer you guys that are listening, um, you know, you don't have to have a near death experience uh, to live this way, but I call it rapid visioning. And it's a strategy that I use to basically like take one step forward to get 10 steps out. And the premise of it is instead of, you know, future pacing five or 10 years, it's actually creating and iterating moment by moment by moment. And a quick uh, story and case study is I did this strategy and literally created an $80,000 revenue stream in a matter of three days. And, you know, I was uh, in March, I had just ended this uh, relationship and was sitting alone at my mountain house in Colorado, totally missing my ladies and <laughs> just wrote on Facebook. I was like, 
where am I the badass ladies at? Who wants to take a bucket list experience? And I was like, no one responds. I'm deleting this thing in an hour. <laughs> and in a matter of uh, minutes, people started tagging their friends. And it was my most viral post ever. Had 150 plus comments. And I was like, holy crap. And people are reaching out to me like, I want to be a part of a woman mastermind. Men reaching out, seeing like the monetization opportunities. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's kind of nuts. And I was like, okay, what would be the next logical step from this traction? I was like, oh, I should put everyone in a Facebook group to make the conversation easier to follow. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, some people in this group, what would be the next step? Oh, well, they said yes to a trip. Let me just, you know, pre-sell a $2,000 experience and collect deposits. And I had 40 women say yes. And in a matter of three days, $80,000 revenue stream just from this Facebook post. Wow. wow. And it would have been so, um, the conventional model would have been to be like, well, maybe I'm going to do an events company for women. If so, I'm going to look at all the ones in my market. I'm going to employ this strategy. I'm going to research these places. And then after three to six months, then I'll try to make money. But instead, it's actually just staying and going back with, if you have an idea or something inside of you, what's the first step you could take in this moment? Like if you those listening, if you guys were to pause this podcast right now, or if you were to like the second this thing is over, what one action could you take to take that idea or that interest and just put it into your environment and see that feedback? Is it like a simple Facebook post of like, where are my badass ladies? Who wants to take a bucket list experience? Is it something you could say to a coworker? Is it something that you could post on your LinkedIn? Is it a friend that you could call? And just notice like what the natural environment, what the reaction is and the feedback. And from there, let that dictate your next step and your next step and your next step. And I find if you do that, one, the process, you're more present to it, but two, you're in the most alignment and have the optimal ability to essentially react and pivot and alter in the moment in the capacity that will create you and give you more success and ultimately more of the result that you're looking for. So long-winded answer uh, to your question, but what's next is like, me continuing to refine my toolkit and my skills and to keep staying present to what's being required of me and yesing it and um, yeah, being committed to uh, the unknown blind trust as best as I can. <laughs> I like that. You're like the, the yes woman, you know, the movie, yes, man, yeah. <laughs> but the hell yes, the hell yes woman. <laughs> the hell yes woman. I know that literally gets myself in things. I'm like, you want me to do what? Where? How? <laughs> Are you crazy? <laughs> It feels like a hell yes, though, so I'm in. <laughs> I know, totally. I remember, like, the and thing that ended up getting me to the UN, I'm sitting in a neck brace, and I get this phone call, and it's like, can you consult our whole team tomorrow? And I'm like, I'm in a neck brace. It's not a good time, but it felt like a hell yes. <laughs> and it opened up this, like, whole other altered uh, door path. So, yeah. What was your most ridiculous hell yes? Oh, my gosh. I feel like they're constantly... Um, <laughs> constantly being tested i think one that felt really uncomfortable was probably the moment that i ended up singing at the un which um so i'm like a month and a half out so i have this near-death experience i'm in the hospital they think my neck's broken they think i'm paralyzed and then like i'm in a neck brace this woman asks me to (laughs) come consult her turns out she works for the un doing this 17 global goals initiative and I hear this voice that's like tell her you're in education and I tell her about this thing which I wasn't in education and she's like can you come present and be our ambassador in three weeks so I'm at this like thing at the UN already having my mind blown at what's happening and the organizer comes up and is like our performer that was going to open up this inaugural um you know conference can't be there and she was like freaking out I was like well I'm a singer like I I could do it 
And I sent her my YouTube link and she was like, okay, perfect. You're on. And I called up my buddy in Brooklyn. And I was like, uh, could you skip work tomorrow to come accompany me at the UN? And he was like at the United Nations. And I was like, yep. And, uh, we decide to do a, a set together. And, um, one of the things that I do is I improv and I make up full songs on the fly as well as spoken word in the moment. And so literally to a room full of delegates for 20 minutes, I got on stage and we just said, let's do this in the key of A minor, holding the microphone, looking out on this crowd, having no idea what was going to come out of my mouth, yet alone like they're expecting like this, you know, huge performance. And I just, I went with it. And for 20 minutes, just improv this ridiculous set. And afterwards, people came up to me and, you know, they thought I was like, this like huge, you know, superstar, whatever. <laughs> I'm getting all these requests to like speak and perform at this thing and do it that thing. And I'm just like, wow, like that was wild. And, you know, I had literally, it was the moment that organizer, she wasn't asking me, she was just asking who knows a performer, what should we do? And I heard it and my body got excited. And that was the cue. And it would have been so easy to just not go up to her and not say anything. But it was such an excited feeling in my body that I was like, oh, crap. Like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> I was like, still in this other conversation, I was like, oh, I really don't want to. Don't make me. Don't make me. And then, like, I got up to her and I talked to her. And then she said yes. And I was like, oh, holy shit. What did I just say yes to? And, um, yeah. And then staying with that feeling until, you know, literally 13 hours later, by the time I was done with the set, was like, wow. Um, and it was so cool to have been able to do that and makes like a really kick-ass story. But, uh, yeah, definitely was a, a really uncomfortable moment for me. And I find each time I kind of, yes, these uncomfortable things, like now when I look back on it, I'm like, Oh, that'd be no problem. Like I could totally handle that. But it's like only by building that muscle, um, do you know, you get to keep expanding like baby step by baby step outside of the comfort zone. Right. Jules, I want to keep going, but I know you have a eight minutes until you have to be off somewhere else. So we'll cut off there. And I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with us, all your tricks and tips and the strategies that you use to create an amazing life. And sincerely, I really appreciate getting to know you when we were in Lisbon together. Just thank you for everything that you do. And thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's been such an honor to be here. And uh, I love, you know, especially when I heard about what you were doing and some of the guests that you've had, I was like, for sure had to uh, jump into the yes. conversation. It was a hell yes. It was totally <laughs> hell yes. And yes. Uh, yeah, and I love the community that you're building. And, you know, as an offering uh, for those that are here, you know, if what I said resonated with you, um, you know, feel free to check out our Unconventional Life podcast. You can search it on iTunes if you like, uh, or, you know, you can, if you like reading articles, you can search Jewels on Forbes and find the Unconventional Life blog or unconventionallifeshow.com. And, you know, we also do these ridiculous um, in-person business accelerators. And we've got a, we've been in Bali, we were at a castle in Italy in May, and now we're actually going to be uh, at luxury tree houses in Nicaragua at the end of November, like literally picking people up from the airport, flying them in on a private seaplane to a private beach. We'll be staying in a luxury tree house with 75 other like-minded entrepreneurs from um, all corners of the world. And so, uh, you know, we call it, you know, definitely a business accelerator, but it's more of a, an activation of learning to know who you are in the world and your gifts and to essentially create a lifestyle that supports um, alignment and supports the things you actually care about. So, uh, yeah, you guys can check that out, unconventionallifeshow.com slash Nicaragua, and send me an email. Uh, I love, you know, hearing what you guys are up to. And I think stories and conversations like this 
is what, you know, gives me inspiration and hope. And, you know, hope that something that I said touched you in some way. And if it did, feel free to let me know. Absolutely. Sounds like an amazing event. And we'll sign off there. Jules, once again, thank you so much. Listeners, thank you guys for tuning in. And we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day-to-day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for the attendees, and you'll get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This This year, our main event will be held in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It is four weeks from October 26th to November 24th, 2017. It will be full of workshops, masterminds, and co-working spaces. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. For those of you that are interested and have some questions, don't hesitate to contact us, theentrepreneurhouse.com. We will respond as soon as we can. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.